The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris, and there's no Dylan this week. Uh, Dylan was busy with friends and family and obligations during the Thanksgiving holiday, and we were not able to find a time to get together to record, so I opted to record a little something on my own. It's something that I have been thinking about, but didn't really have the teeth to be a full-length episode. It didn't have the teeth to be the kind of discussion that we like to have on this show. So I did something a little different. I did a little bit of kind of scripting. I did a little bit more production to it. I actually taught myself a little bit of uh, GarageBand. I did some reading up on music theory and made a little uh, lo-fi beat to study or relax to, to underlay under this, to give it a little bit more of a different feel. I'm really proud of the outcome. This is something that I kind of took as an opportunity to stretch my wings out a little bit and try to learn some new skills and expand what I was capable of as a podcast maker. And I would love to hear what you think about it. Uh, It's also a much shorter episode than usual, so I'm going to get out in advance of it to do our sort of usual playbill stuff and then let you just listen to the episode and I'll be back at the end to kind of sign off and everything. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. You should also listen to Dude, You Remember Macross. It's a rumination on the 80s sci-fi mecha anime series Macross, hosted by Dylan and our friend Coop. They are very funny. They go through what the episodes are, what happens in them, and then try to do some analysis of them, break down the themes, break down the action for you, the listener. It's a great time. You can find them on Twitter at Dude, You Remember. That's Dude as in Dude, Where's My Car? You're welcome, Dylan. And you can find them wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Dude, You Remember Macross. You should also listen to The Unexplored Places. They're sort of a friendly cast for us because Dylan and I are both in them. It's an actual play podcast using currently the Scum and Villainy game system. It's a sci-fi adventure for season two. We're three episodes in. It's a great time to hop on board, and I think you'll really like it. You can find them at unexploredcast.libsyn.com or on Twitter at unexploredcast. Thank you to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. They're a network of a bunch of different people talking about video games from different angles. It's a great time. All of the shows are a great fun. You can find all of their shows by following HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. They're constantly retweeting all of the tweets. You can follow me on Twitter at CJWilsonVA if you want to be up to speed on what I'm involved in. You can follow Dylan on Twitter at TheDilla. That's T-H-A underscore D-I-L-A. And... Thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for the support and for helping us out and for doing everything that you do to help us be able to keep making the show and for allowing me the luxury of trying weird stuff like this. That's all I've got for right now. I will be back at the end of the episode with our kind of closing thank yous and statements and goodbyes. But until then, enjoy this weird thing. The 1985 film Clue is, frankly, completely bizarre. 
Not only is it, as far as I can tell, the first example of a movie based on a game, convenient for the subject of this podcast, it's also one of the only movies ever made with self-contained alternate endings. When the movie was released to theaters, three different cuts, each with its own unique end to the film's whodunit story, were sent out. Audiences leaving the theater had seen an ending, but barring being such huge Clue fans that they felt like tracking down three theaters, each with a different cut of the film, they hadn't seen every possible ending to the movie. More than likely, interested viewers had to wait until the VHS release to see the other possible conclusions. Clue is not a great movie. Uh, it's a fun movie, and I'm a huge fan of its whole campy aesthetic and the things that it tried to do, but the requirements of creating a mystery with three possible endings means that none of the endings are particularly satisfying, and it misses out on some of the fun of actually being able to solve a whodunit while watching. If there are three different outcomes they're leading up to, then the clues end up being too vague or too hard to distinguish from the red herrings, which themselves end up being clues for the other possible endings. However, Clue is an interesting movie to look at. Other films have been more than happy to end in vague, open-to-inspiration notes, and there are plenty of movies that you can find with alternate cuts or extended editions that dramatically alter the story. Coming to mind immediately are things like the Lord of the Rings extended editions or the three discrete versions of Blade Runner that you can track down. But Clue is the only movie that's entire conceit was wrapped up in this idea of multiple endings. The novelty of it was the point. To its credit, though, Clue was the perfect movie to attempt this kind of experiment. Mystery stories encourage a more active sort of engagement than your typical narrative. They tease at a right answer that the audience can crack if they're smart enough and pay close enough attention. While still a film, this kind of pseudo-interactivity helped to prop up Clue's twist. Now, why did I just spend the intro of this video game and theater podcast talking about the movie Clue? Well, because it's an interesting parallel to the thing I actually want to talk about today. Games have been providing narratives with multiple endings for decades, leaning into this sense of ownership that comes from the player's active interaction with the story and active driving forward of the plot through the things that they do in the game. And these sorts of split endings come in a variety of styles. Sometimes... There is a standard ending and then further endings that are locked away behind hidden content or hard-to-find MacGuffins or difficult optional bosses. Games like Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Hollow Knight and really a lot of Metroidvania-style games kind of hinge on this idea of finding additional endings through exploring the world more fully. Other times, the changes in the story arise from choices that you make, either in dialogue or in set-aside moral choice systems, things like the Mass Effect series, Dishonored, or the Infamous games. At their best, these systems help games feel more personal. Your story is your own, influenced by the choices you've made as you played, but the conversations around these sort of endings can trend in some unexpected and, to my mind, sometimes unhelpful directions. I want to talk this week about the idea of the true ending. Whenever a game contains multiple endings, typically, again, in that kind of Metroidvania, Castlevania, Symphony of the Night style of you have to find the extra things, you have to go the extra mile to unlock them, people tend to refer to the hardest one to reach, the one that requires finding the most things and jumping through the most hoops, as the true ending. And recently, for some reason, I 
started to be bothered by that. I don't have a good reason for why it started to nag at me, but it did. And I know it's just a term, I know it's just something that is used to help people in the community kind of categorize what the different endings are, but something about the word true in this context rubs me the wrong way. I've spoken before on our show about Undertale, and the way that the discourse around that game irritated me. Uh, to go into it very briefly, in case you haven't listened to that episode, much of the Undertale fan community regards the pacifist route of the game, the style of play where you commit to using all of the nonviolent approaches that the game designers built into the world as the correct or intended way to play the game. To the point of some members of that fan community going out of their way to flame or harass online streamers or commenters or new players who didn't follow that path. In addition to the obvious note of don't flame and harass people, this continues to confuse me. I've discussed it with Dylan on the show before, but it still irks me. Because obviously, if the designers included the option for the more violent, less pacifistic route through the game then that is also an intended way to play. If they didn't intend you to be able to do that, it wouldn't be in the game. Game design is a hard thing to do, and people don't tend to put in extra stuff that they don't want to be there. I understand that this response is due to the message of the game, the fact that things go much worse for some very beloved characters in the non-pacifist endings, and I understand having an emotional connection to a game and wanting others to share that, but the idea that this ending is correct or is true and pushing that idea on others who might be attempting to experience a game naturally or even blindly continues to confuse me. It's this exact sort of emotional connection that I want to dial in on because I think that it gets to the heart of what a lot of this is talking about. I have very fond memories of playing the Mass Effect series back in the late 2000s, early 2010s. They were a trilogy of science fiction adventure games where And they were among the first games I ever played that heavily leaned into the idea of choice and consequence. These existed both along the lines of, like, you had kind of a a renegade or paragon, which was kind of Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk sort of morality scale uh, that your choices could fall under that could unlock different options for your character, but also choices you made as far as how to resolve certain quest lines, how to react to things that happen around you, these choices came back to haunt you in a way that was really effective. Sometimes a beloved party member might die permanently. An old friend from an earlier game in the series might show up to help in a pinch. Rivals that you've kind of jockeyed with throughout the series arriving to either cause you one more bit of trouble or to join your side when they're needed most. The sprawling decision and consequence trees that wind through these three games are way too complex for me to even attempt to dive into. They, they're they honestly kind of masterpieces of this idea of choice and consequence in games. And they make the games feel alive in a way that a lot of games don't. They make it feel personal to you and to the way that you're playing the game in a way that really not very many games since have, at least for me personally. I remember finishing Mass Effect 2 and being very excited for the eventual release of Mass Effect 3. And in that kind of period of limbo, I tried a couple of times to pick up Mass Effect 1 again, to start a new file and to see maybe what would happen if I went down some different pathways there or made some different choices or played Commander Shepard in a way that was different from the way that I originally played him. But I couldn't. I 
would pick up the game and I would get an hour, hour and a half in, and then I would just lose steam. And it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying myself. The games were fun to play, they were interesting, I like that kind of big sprawling RPG. But the problem was that my story wasn't done. The story that I began with my Commander Shepard in Mass Effect 1 and then imported through the sort of carryover save feature into Mass Effect 2, that story wasn't done and I knew that because I knew this next game was coming and I couldn't become invested in a second story until I saw how the first one ended. And I couldn't go out and explore these other paths until I saw how the ones I had chosen would come back to haunt me and would come to hopefully some sort of resolution in the final game. I've never had that problem with another series. Like, I've, I've never played a game, even a game in a series, where I had that kind of hang-up of not wanting to go back and play a game that I had liked until I saw the story through to the end. And I think a large part of my connection to that story is that I went into that game, for the most part, blind. I didn't have any expectations. I hadn't purposely avoided spoilers or discussion of the Mass Effect series. I just hadn't really been paying attention. I knew that it hinged on this idea of choice and consequence. I knew that the decisions I made would come back to haunt me, but I hadn't heard anything about what any of those choices were, or if there were any right or wrong answers, or good or bad answers to any of the questions. I didn't know if there was a best ending. I didn't know if there was anything I had to do to jump through hoops to, like, see more of the game than I would experience naturally. I lost crewmates in that playthrough, and I know for a fact I didn't get all of the happiest or most rewarding outcomes for the main storylines that threaded through these games, and I love that. I love that I didn't experience, quote-unquote, the right path, if such a thing even exists in Mass Effect. I haven't followed up on that fan community to know if there's, like, die-hard, you-have-to-do-this kind of people. When I finished Mass Effect 3, and I'm not going to get into the backlash over the game's ending other than to say I didn't mind it and I understand why Bioware made the initial decisions that they did, I felt like I had experienced something more unique and more personal than I ever have in a game really before or since. My Shepard's story was, for better or worse, his own. It was my own, and it was Maybe not different than anyone else in the world, but certainly different than anyone else I've ever talked to about these games. And this kind of ties me back to my gripe about this idea of the true ending. And this is not a great one-to-one -one comparison. Like I said, Mass Effect, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have a true ending. It doesn't have the kind of like, oh, you, you ended your Castlevania Symphony of the Night run on the fight with Victor. Oh, you poor sweet summer child. There's so much more to that game. But even then, the argument still doesn't make sense to me. True ending isn't what we have to call the ending that requires you to do everything and go everywhere and jump through every hoops. We already have a term for that. It's called 100%ing a game, or we can find other terms to use. And in choosing to use the term true, we're discarding the other possible experiences of playing. All of the endings happen. All of them are conclusions to a story. Some are happier, or address more plot threads, or leave more things open to interpretation, but all of them serve to bring the experience of the game to a close, and serve to wrap up the arcs of the characters involved. I'm currently playing through Hollow Knight for the first time, a good two years late to the party, as I usually am with games, and I'm enjoying it. I get the hype that surrounded this game when it came out. It's one of the best Metroidvania games I've ever played, and I've been a fan of Metroidvania-style games for a very long time. 
and I'm having an absolute blast uncovering the secrets of the world that Team Cherry has built. But I know about the true ending. I know that there are extra things that are expected of me if I want to experience what everyone thinks of as the proper conclusion to this story. I haven't managed to stay as blissfully ignorant as I was back in 2009 and 2010 as I charted my course through space in Mass Effect. And I know that getting the true ending will require me to go out of my way to explore every nook and cranny in the game. And while I'm still enjoying it, that knowledge, that idea that I'm not going to get the true story naturally if I don't jump through these hoops, has put a damper on the game for me a little bit. I'm not able to enjoy the sheer experience of discovering this world in the same way that I would if I were going in blind, and this knowledge in a way has turned what I would naturally be doing, which is scouring this world for secrets because I'm, in, I'm loving it, it's turned that into a more cynical kind of checklist operation. And I'm not saying that this kind of discourse is inherently bad. The community around games like Hollow Knight and Undertale are frequently amazing, and the collaborative discovery and sharing of secrets and talking online to relative strangers to figure out the meanings behind the kind of fragmented lore-based storytelling that a lot of these kinds of games present, it's incredible and it's beautiful and it's an amazing form of collaboration and community building that it's very difficult for another medium to do. It's something that games with their interactivity and the way that we engage with them and the way that we grow to care about them are really uniquely poised to make use of. And I love that. But if I could snap my fingers and change the world in a very tiny way, obviously there's a lot of things I could do if this wish was all-powerful, but if it was a tiny linguistic wish, I would get rid of that term, true ending. I would find a different way to describe it and take this idea of truth or validity or intent out of it. A game is there for you to experience. That's one of the most incredible and unique things about this medium that we all love so much. And if a game has multiple endings, then the one that you discover first, the one that you arrive at naturally through the way that you decide to engage with this game and play through this world, that should be the one that's true to you. The one that you find on that first blind dive into the unknown. There are times that I really wish I could go back. Back to playing games ignorant of what was waiting for me, back to that kind of headspace I was in when I dove into Mass Effect 3 for the first time, not knowing how my story was going to play out. Back to a day when I could have picked up Hollow Knight and finished it without collecting every MacGuffin and not have this little nagging voice in the back of my head whispering, but it's not the true ending. Thank you so much for listening to Backstage Gaming this week. Thank you for indulging me as I tried something a little different and kind of got away from my core competencies to try to bring in a new one, I guess. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please, if you like the show, if you like what I did this week, the best way to make sure I hear about that is by tweeting about it using the hashtag BSGpod. That's the best way to engage with us, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this little experiment that I did this week. 
Thank you, as always, for listening. If you like the show, tell your friends about it, tell your family, share it around. That's the best way to help us grow. Maybe leave a review on iTunes if you enjoyed it. Uh, and you can find us, of course, wherever we wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, bsgpod.com, which also features things like a contact form if you want to get in touch with us. That's how a lot of our guests that we've had on that we don't know personally have made that happen. So if that's something that sounds cool, reach out to us there. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at bsg underscore cast or on YouTube. I think we have a Tumblr, but I don't know that we do anything with it. Most of our places, it's, it's BSG Pod, but on Twitter, it's at BSG underscore cast. Again, tweet about the show using the hashtag BSG Pod. That'll really help us to see what you have to say. And we would love to hear from you, our lovely fans. Thank you, as always, to Brennan French, our good friend and the person who provided us our key art. You can find more of his work at his Instagram, which is Brennan French Arts, or by going to brennan-french.squarespace.com that's b-r-e-n-n-e-n hyphen french.squarespace.com our theme song was composed by our friend bioquery it's his it's from his track dot sound radio volume one instrumentality you can find more of his music at soundcloud.com slash bioquery or by searching for bioquery that's b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y on spotify thank you again to the hp video game podcast network for having us on the network you can find all of their shows constantly being retweeted at hpvg pod network on twitter and thank you as always to our patrons this is your fault if you like what we do and want to help us do it more and do it better head to patreon.com slash bsg pod who boy it's a lot more to do all of this when i don't have dylan to split the duty with he'll be back next week Until then, thank you again for indulging me in this weird thing that I decided I wanted to do, and I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye!